Yo, I put it like wow, this that sound These oaks don't work hard like me, I hope they know by now Bam, bam, stand my ground Throw these money trees, go overseas like Percy Tau I make sure you stay around, quiet when I'm under loud No negatives allowed, me positivity took a vow I always play to win, don't anticipate loss Mind always in the clown, my boy, never think about the drop Never, ever, ever think about the drop Welcome to it, sports fans. It is the MKT show. Show, show, show. As they do on radio. I need to do that every time, you know? Get the point. We're on a podcast. Not on radio. That's the point. Hope you had a great weekend uh, whenever you're listening to this. I realize I say, I hope you're enjoying this on Monday. But that's stupid because in podcasting, Maybe you broke up with your girlfriend, you know, and you're only listening to this on the next Friday. Hypothetically speaking, I'm not saying you did break up with your girlfriend. I'm just saying that's one of the things in life that may prevent you going to work on Monday to listen to the podcast in the car. So there are in the, in the interests of elite podcasting, I hope you're enjoying your day. See, what I've done there is I haven't dated the podcast. Now, that's also low-level broadcasting because I've now let you behind the curtain in something which I'm not supposed to tell you that is part of the podcasting skill is not to date the podcast. But here we are now. So what do we do now? You know, because I've told you now. I'm not untelling you. So I hope you enjoy your day. Hope you had a cracking weekend. I had a pretty good weekend. Surprise, surprise. I was just at home training. Went and saw a friend. And then came home and trained again. And then ate some food and slept. Those are the things I did on the weekend. Those are the things I did on the weekend. Okay, this is a sports show. What are we going to talk about today? Um, I see Mikel Arteta said he was sad. Wah. Unbelievable. Um, I'll tell you why he's ridiculous to be said, and I get what he was saying, but in reality, I'm hearing a lot of Arsenal fans being sad. Don't be sad. I'll tell you why you shouldn't be, and why you're a numbskull if you are. And then I got a cool DM, or a WhatsApp, can't remember, but it's essentially the same slide in the DMs vibe. At Chelsea, keep and sell. Who should Chelsea keep? Who should they sell? So I'll do one of those, quickly talk you through that. And then my word, I got a DM um, for the mailbag. Oh, wow. It's a cracker. So I'll read that out and give my thoughts on a non-sports related subject. All right, let's get into it. Before I get into it, um, just a few things. Um, MKT inspires on Instagram, that's where I'm active, or Twitter, uh, slide in the DMs. Uh, otherwise, mkt at the mktshow.com if you'd like to send an electronic mail like the 1850s. People send e- still send emails, huh? It's a corporate thing. Like, I've seen corporates love an email, 
you know, as per my last email. All right, douchebag, no one talks like that. Just say, hey, do you remember when I said this? Corporates in their bloody circle back crap, eh? Oh, my goodness. Yeah, yeah, let's just align. I heard another one. I don't know if I've spoken about it on the podcast before, but I hadn't heard this one. Can you just sense check me? So a friend of mine, she works at F&B, which is, if you're not South African, it's a very big bank here. Uh, she's a she's a medium wig, medium to big wig there. And she told me their thing at FNB, right, is can you just sense check me on this one? Can you sense check me on this one? Like, what a bunch of knobs. What a bunch of knobs. I hate corporate talk so much. And now I'm in and around it. I, I, like, I'm not an aggressive person in that sense. I have an aggressive personality, but I, I, I don't really like to go to physical violence. But I do get driven there by corporate people circling back as per my last email. Let's align. Slide in the DMs. What are some other ones? I, I mean, I, I can't think of them off the top of my head. I didn't know I'd talk about this. By the way, I, I plan very little of what I'm going to talk about in this segment of the podcast. So... It's just whatever I'm feeling at the time. But uh, corporate people, like if you're in corporate and you're listening to this, I'd like you to have a meeting to say, hey, is there any way we can speak normally? Because generally, if you are at the management and or, or even above management, I imagine the executive management level or Exco, which is Exco, I think. I don't know these corporate douchebag things, but at that level, first of all, congratulations, because it's not easy, it's a snake pit to get where you are. Corporate mindsets are incredible. Climbing the corporate ladder, man, listen, my father was in corporate, you know, I've seen what, what it takes to, to climb to the top of that ladder. Whew. Congratulations for surviving the snake pit just to get to an exco or get to management level. So congratulations, I'm not hating on you for that. But maybe you gather your troops and you just say, hey, look, if I got to this level, and I'm just presuming you live in a country where English is the standard business language, right? I presume if you're listening to this and you understand English, you are living in a country where uh, English is the language of the day. And in order to access the economy where you live, you must speak a certain level of English. Now, okay, so that presumption I think is safe. Otherwise, it must be very confusing over the last five minutes to you what I was saying on this podcast because you don't understand English, which is just stupid, by the way. I'm an idiot. You don't want to be learning English through this podcast, right? So I don't know what you've been doing just listening to me waffle. Maybe you just like noise to go to sleep with. That's also cool. But if you're at a certain level, right, you understand how to speak colloquial English, so you understand the idiosyncrasies of the English language from, I'd say, the basic, it doesn't need to be native level, but I would say you've got professional proficiency would probably be the, the corporate term for how well you speak English. So you speak a level of English that a 16-year-old first language English person would speak. So just speak like that. Just speak like that in the room because no one's impressed, by the way. We're all relatively mid to high level people if we're in the room wearing 
shirts that are just too tight and a tie for whatever reason. So let's just speak normally. So instead of, all right, let me give you an example. As per my last email, no. No, no, because you're being passive aggressive there. I get it, corporates, you want to undercut each other. Everyone makes mistakes, but you hate her because she's always telling on you and she sucks up to the boss. But let's just say, okay, the 80% of us who are just trying to do our job and earn a salary at the end of the month, because that's what most of corporate is, let's just make an agreement here to say, we're just going to speak normally to each other because when you speak to people like douchebags, and I understand the irony here because I use long words to compensate for my insecurities and people always say, why do you use those long words? I'm like, it's because my father used to make me listen to SAFM and I wasn't allowed to speak the dumb guy English that I'm now professing. So I understand that I'm a hypocrite, but I'm just saying now we've moved on, right? You don't need to sound like an ANC politician. No one's impressed. And I understand with me, I use long words. I'm starting to understand no one's impressed. No one thinks I'm smart. Rightfully so. So you person, simplicity is the highest form of sophistication. Calm down. So for example, as per my last email, uh-uh. Hey, Ronald, if you look on the 6th of May, uh, I had noted this before, kind regards, Gwendolyn, because it's 1902 and people are still called Gwendolyn. There we go. There we go. I've just solved every single circle back alignment sense check in the country, in the world, actually. So there you have it. All right. Uh, before we get to uh, those two topics and other stuff, I got a, I got a message and it got me thinking about running advice. So if you don't know, and it's your first time listening to this podcast, first of all, welcome to the podcast. Please do take a moment to like, share uh, the podcast, and do subscribe if you don't subscribe, whichever platform you listen on. And also, if you've got two minutes, and if not, I totally understand, please leave a comment. I like this podcast. What's this guy talking about? Is this even a sports show? I'm 10 minutes in. He hasn't mentioned sport. Why am I wasting my time doing this? Plus... Why is he suggesting that I broke up with my girlfriend? I wasn't suggesting that. I was just saying it's something that happens. P have people broken up before with their girlfriends? Yes. So it's a perfectly reasonable hypothetical to put in place to say you might be listening to this podcast on a different day besides Monday. Now, now that we've done that, people said in my DMs, and if you don't know, by the way, I'm, a, I'm sort of, I live to run now that's that's the one thing that makes me happy it's the one thing that makes me happy that i can control now football makes me happy but i can't really control that i can't control when the premier league's on you know maybe one day watching the olympics that makes me happy can't really control when that's on that's every two years now people are saying it's every four years i say i watch the the winter olympics because i'm not a savage you know what i mean love winter sport but running is a big part of my life, particularly mountain running. Now, if you don't live in South Africa, what you have to understand is we're a little different. So I realized when I was in Madrid now, a couple of weeks ago, is that, yes, we are crazy as South Africans. We are some tough bastards because 
Whenever you go there, the, the gold standard, the oh my God, is the marathon. And I'm like, I do a training marathon once a month. And they're like, wow. I'm like, okay. Because in South Africa, if you haven't run the Comrades, it's like, oh, you're not real. And I say, yes, but I've run 27 races of 100 kilometers or more in my life. Now, that's not that impressive because there's people in that world who've run 100 kilometers plus. I'm saying I've run 100 kilometers, 100 miles, 250K mountain races. Those are way harder than Comrades. But okay, people will say, if you want to be a real runner, you've got to run Comrades. But I run 100 Ks and 100 milers. If you want to know why, it is an ego thing. And also, I can't get excited about training for anything less. I'm the type of person where if the challenge isn't big enough, you can't get my attention. Anyway, somebody asked me for running advice. So I very rarely give running advice. No big deal. I'm also 242. So 2 hour 42 is my PB in marathons. I've only run three marathons, blah, blah, blah. I've told this story a million times as to why I don't run road marathons. If you'd like to know why, go back and listen to the podcasts. Otherwise, slide in the DMs, MKT Inspires. But I don't run road races. I do not run road races. It's not for me. It's fun. It's awesome. I love it. I love running because of what it's done for my life. But blah, blah, blah. That's boring. Road running's amazing. Running's amazing, right, for what it can do for you. But I don't, I very rarely give running advice. So somebody asked me, for some running advice, and I said, it, it's a training thing and you have to be patient. You can't just jump from a half marathon to a marathon because he was asking me to, I think he's trying to chop 45 minutes off his PB. I'm like, that's a lot. You know, one of the things about me is I'm quite obsessive. So I got, I got good quite quickly, but I've always been a natural athlete and I've always trained really hard. So I'm, I've got quite a, a hardened mind to sport and also it's in my wheelhouse so it's really really easy for me to train hard because I've done it since I was six years old I'm 37 now you know uh, I mean I was while I was boozing as a footballer I was still an animal think of me as the very 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 poor man's Paul Gascoigne now I never did drugs but I did booze a lot my word but I was still an animal still fit like crazy so one of the things is I got really good, well, good for a normal citizen at running because I, I threw myself into it like Floyd Mayweather determination where I kind of gave myself over to running in the first three years. And then I was running sort of 30 minute 10Ks and I ran a 242 in my third and only ever marathon. And it was at altitude, by the way, no big deal. But that's because I gave my life to it, you know? I wasn't just like training a little bit. I threw myself into it. Now I work a little more, but I still devote an incredible amount of time to training. Um, and I, I sacrifice a lot of sleep. So running advice, I, I don't really like to give running advice because I'm not actually an expert. I'm not actually an expert. I just sort of, look at training plans online. I very rarely use training plans anymore. I did for the first six and a half years of running. And then now it's like, I just go by what my body feels and I just love running very long distances. So I try and run, I run less now for speed. I run more for time 
So I try and spend long time, a long time out. I don't live near mountains. I live in Johannesburg now, so I'm on the road. So if you want to ask me for running advice, don't do it because I'll give you... I'm quite brutal as well because it's difficult to give yourself to something. And if you want to get better at running, it's just like... Running is the most honest sport in the world, right? It's like running and boxing are the most honest sport in the world. Is that no matter no matter what you think, it doesn't matter. Is how much you actually give yourself to running is what you'll get out. Whereas in like football and cricket, you can hide in these other sports, right? Where you have teammates, you can hide. Like if you're a left wing, you're not dropping back, and your left sort of your left central midfielder is fit, he'll cover for you. She'll cover for you. You know. Every step in running, that's you. And if you have goals, you can attain them, but you've got to be very, very honest about how fit are you and how much much of yourself are you willing to give to running? Because you don't have to be that fit actually in football if you're very technical. I know guys. I I played with a guy in in academy football called Jamie O'Hara. He's the best player I've ever seen with my own eyes. And he was a bigger boozer than I was then. So I forget now, he was unreal. It was like playing with, if you're old like me, you remember Juan Roman Requelne. Didn't move. He didn't have to move. Wasn't fit and, but a left foot like you cannot imagine. And he was in the first team before you could imagine. He was an unreal technical player. Didn't need to be fit. None of that in running. You Listen. So this guy wanted to run, I think, a three-hour marathon. That's not easy, hey? Um, three-hour marathon's not easy. I'm not saying it's impossible. What I'm saying is, if you want to run a sub-three-hour marathon, you've, you've, got to be, you've got to be a good athlete, first and foremost. And if you're not a good athlete, you've got to harden your body because a marathon is far. You know, if you haven't, if you've just started running, and you've only run a half marathon, and let's say you're not running an 80-minute half marathon, right? Three hours is, that's tough. That's tough going. But possible, I would say you need an 18-month to 24-month cycle to train, though. Because more than the getting fit, that's just one side of it. Marathons are painful. You've got to harden your mind. Like a lot of people have soft minds. I just want to be honest with you. That, that's why another reason why I don't give running advice is people are just soft. <laughs> and I don't want to be brutal and say that to people. It's like, oh, I want to do this. Okay, here's what you have to do. Number one, how fit are you actually? Like, don't idealize yourself. Are you a natural athlete? And it's difficult because we've all got egos, I'd say. And there's a difference between cocky and realistically confident. If you're not realistic, running will hurt you and ultimately break your confidence. So I'm not, I don't really give running advice, but I had a chat to the gent and hopefully he's going to sort it out. And he had an injury. Oh man, that's tough. Injuries are tough. Um, and then I was just thinking after that is I have made a race plan. Uh, I will run 100 kilometers, I think, this year at some stage. But I've definitely decided to run um, the UTCT 100K, sorry, 100 miler on the 24th of November. So I got to I got to start training. That's in five months' time. I've got to seriously start um, 
getting stuck in. Start getting stuck in and hardening the body because that's going to be brutal. 7,000 meters of climbing. Uh, so 24th of November, if you're going to be at the UTC 100 miler, see you there. I did the 100K, was it last year or the year before? Um, that was brutal, man. I ran a 13.52 in the 100K in 2016. Ugh. I ran, what was it? Was it 17 hours last year? Yeah, yeah. That was tough. It was tough. Um, and then another thing I learned about myself is I don't know what rendering is in cooking. I have a work colleague who's like a bit of a cooking aficionado and he was giving me a hard time, you know. And I just realized like I'm not a great cook. Like I cook nice food. But I, I like uh, I had a lady at work ask me, do you watch cooking shows? I'm like, bloody no way do I watch cooking shows. Get the hell out of my face. They are so boring. Uh, but, but, but should I be watching cooking shows? I mean, listen, I'm a bachelor, so I don't really get much feedback about what I should be watching or what I should be doing. Like, I like what I like. It's football. It is podcasts. It's history. It's science. That's what I'm taking in. I don't even watch movies anymore. People, so someone invited me to watch the Air movie the other day. Like, that sounds so boring. I hate the cinema because someone's baby's crying. Some 15-year-old's on their cell phone. And I, I probably sound like old guy here. But if we're going to go to the movies, let's put our phones away. Like, why are we texting in the movies? You know? Now I've got the bright light. I'm distracted. You know, people are talking in the movie as well. What? Like, I'll tell you what I, I would pay for, right? There's two things I'd pay for in the world. I would pay extra. I would pay even double the ticket. I would pay double for a plane ticket where I don't have to sit next to somebody who is morbidly obese. I, l listen, there's mental problems. I understand that. I'm like obesity is what it is blah 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 okay i have my own take on that but that's fine but i would pay to sit next to somebody who's not spilling into my seat i had that on my last flight i'm like oh my goodness now somebody did make a very good point make more money and sit in business class or first class and i thought fair point that's a that's a very 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 good point i i that, and i believe in that is i need to take some responsibility, make more money, fly business class. There we go. Problem solved. However, having said that, I'm not in that position right now. I've been on three international trips this year. Who do you think I am? Bloody Rockefeller. Having said that, I'm making excuses. So I thought that was a fair point. I think somebody said it to me on Twitter, actually, which great point. Make more money. Stop whinging. But I would pay double a first class ticket just for like, you know, be below 90 kilograms to sit in the seat, I would say. There we go. I would say that's fair. Now, people would say, is that... <sighs> I don't actually care what people have said. I don't. I don't. That, that, that's what I'd pay for. The other thing I would pay for is a cinema where you have to leave your cell phone at the door, right? You have to leave your cell phone at the door. And you have to be above the age of 28 to get in the cinema. So for the same movie, right? I don't want to sit with... I, there, there's nothing wrong with 15-year-old girls and guys on a date, blah, blah, blah. 
having their cell phone, cool. There should be that type of cinema though. You know what I mean? And I would pay double the ticket price to go to the cinema. So this is one of my reasons why I don't go to the movies. Like people chuckling. (laughs) Look, look on your cell phone. Like, oh my goodness. Okay, I've also paid to be here. It's distracting. Like I've got ears that are listening to the screen and you now. Like I don't have kids. So so what do I do? Stay at home rather. And and watch YouTube and the Premier League. Which I think is fair, you know? However, if you do work at like Stir Kenny Core or New Metro, maybe think about it. Think about us olds who are like there's nothing wrong with young people. Young people are great. They have a fantastic energy. Put them in their own cinema. They can have cell phones. They can bloody have VR goggles in there for all I care. I do, I, do you know what? Have a bloody Justin Bieber concert in there. Don't care. Honestly, don't care. But for us olds, put us in there. Leave your cell phone at the door if you want to get into this, uh, my dream cinema. And you can get it on the way out. There's a lockbox. Only you have the pin. And if you are found with a cell phone, by the way, you know, I don't, want, I, I don't want it to be like North Korea where we're tailing on each other, but it's perfectly okay to say, hey, Cindy, I see you on your phone. Get the hell out. This isn't the place. Let me know your thoughts. MKT Inspires. Those are just my thoughts. Not a good cook. Being given a very difficult time by somebody at work about that. Try to learn how to cook steaks. I don't I, like I don't I usually buy a steak every week. But now I'm buying ostrich steaks and it's amazing. It's amazing. But I'm also buying sirloin and I didn't render the fat. I made it on the weekend. It tasted fine. But now I put rub on it and I didn't render the fat. So I don't know if it was great. So I don't know, slide in the DM. Should I be watching cooking shows? If I if I Listen, give me, give me three-minute snippets of cooking stuff. Like, if you've got something like that for me on YouTube, slide in the DMs, at MKT Inspires. I've got a very, very short attention span unless I'm watching sport. The only thing that gets me to sit still, truly speaking, is the English Premier League and the NFL. Like, that I sit down on a Saturday after I come back from training. So here's how my Saturdays go. Saturdays and Sundays. I, I run from six to nine, sometimes longer if it's a 30K run. So let's say six to 11, eat. Then I settle into Premier League, check out my fantasy, check out some emails, blah, blah, blah. I'm eating, I'm recovering, stretching, rolling, doing whatever. And then when the Premier League starts, there's four, three or four games. You know, that's about six hours. I do not move for that time. I might have coffee, walk outside a little bit, but it is the only thing. And then when the NFL's here, well, luckily in South Africa, that's Sunday nights, and I'll watch a little bit of that. But I love the NFL. Nothing else gets me to sit still. I don't watch T20 cricket, and there's never going to be test cricket on TV again, so don't watch any of that. So, yeah. So train, train till 11, watch football, eat go for a recovery walk between the sort of four o'clock and like late kickoff game if there is one come home eat again sleep and maybe see a friend in in between there go go to a friend's house 
or not. Don't need to. Don't need to go to a friend's house. I like to watch the football by myself. All right, let's get into it. My God, half an hour into it. Have not started with the sport. Incredible. If you're still listening to this, thank you. If not, I get it. Totally get it. All right, Mikel Arteta, hey, he says he's sad. He says he's sad. I'm like, listen, Arsenal did well. Arsenal did well. There's no need to be sad. Oh, don't be sad. Oh, man. The great Arthur Schopenhauer. Arthur Schopenhauer. Uh, you know how Germans get, hey? you got to say their names right. Arthur Schopenhauer. Arthur Schopenhauer said... All suffering is the gap between the ideal and the real self. All human suffering can be put down to the gap between the ideal and the real self. You know, what's sad to me isn't that Arsenal lost. What's sad to me is that, honestly speaking, Arsenal thought they were a championship team. Like, like this isn't the first time Man City have done this. With a Liverpool team that's way better than you. Like, I don't mean better than you. I mean, like, way better than you. In a different universe. If you want to be... I I don't want to have a philosophy lesson. I'm I'm not really into happiness as a concept, but whatever. I don't think the point of life is to be happy. But that's a whole different thing. But let's just use a term because everyone's on Instagram and... It's just about being happy, right? If you want to be happy, it's it's quite simple, right? You should try as often as possible to use the rule and not the exception for making decisions. Your emotional decisions, relationship decisions, yeah. If a guy if a guy's a drunkard at twenty one, probably a drunkard at forty, probably. Right, 90%. The exception is not the rule. Arsenal have, in 20 years, right, in 20 years, they've been in contention once. And they're sad. What are we doing? It's just not rational. In 20 years. Listen, repeated behavior is character, right? So your, your repeated behavior becomes your character. Arsenal have been a laughing stock for 20 years. I'm sorry, you can't tell me that Arsenal are, are a winning institution. Are they a classy institution? Absolutely. Are they like a much heralded historic foundation organization, never been relegated uh, or, or the longest streak without being relegated? Yes, absolutely. Arsenal's that club. Are they, are they the invincibles? Absolutely. Did Arsene Wenger change the face of British football with diets and, and sort of sports science approach? Absolutely. Are they a winning institution? Absolutely not. They are Nokia and the new regime is Apple. Tell me who you want to be. Let's not be romantic about this. We're in business here. The exception is not the rule. Just because you're in contention once in 20 years, let's not do the romance nonsense. It's crap. Folks, there are only three clubs to be taken seriously in England as things stand. And I would even argue it's two. If your repeated behavior 
is your character. And ultimately, when you're under pressure, your characters will always be revealed. If you want to reveal somebody's character, put them under immense pressure. It is true of everybody. Pressure makes cowards of all of us, it was once said. In the last 20 years, Chelsea have five titles. Man United have five titles. And Man City have seven titles. Now, you can tell me the titles were bought or whatever nonsense you want to spin. I'm just telling you what happened. I'm just telling you what the behavior, what the cultures of those institutions are. You know, a friend of mine once said, winning eats culture for breakfast. Stop talking about culture. Just win. The rest will follow. Culture will follow. Chelsea, five titles. Man United, five titles. Man City, seven titles. In the last 20 years. I'm I'm just telling you, since Arsenal last won a title. So those teams are telling you is what's interesting about them is they're not talking about winning is they are winning. They are behaving in a winning way. Go and get philosophical and, and cry about buying titles. Go do that to someone else. People have always bought titles. Buy Munich, buy titles. Real Madrid, buy titles. Barcelona, buy titles. Man United, bought titles. Arsenal, bought titles. Do me a favor. You can't win at that level on just vibes. Arsenal are just vibes. Arteta's cool. He's funky. He's young. He's energetic. He's got, he's got them humming as well. Oh, they play beautiful. The aesthetic is sensational. You'd be a hater if you said Arsenal didn't play the best football in the Premier League this season. You, you'd be a hater. They, they, they played swashbuckling, technically sublime. I, I would argue them and Brighton for the best football. But Arsenal, 2-3 vertical passes, you know, they're, they're not mucking about at the back. They make aggressive, vertical, pressing passing, right? There's no side-to-side nonsense. They get it into Odegaard. He's on the half turn. He's on the half space. And Odegaard doesn't just tap it back. He's on the half turn. He goes, he pushes. He's looking for the one-two. The movement's electric from Arsenal, from Saka, from Gabriel Jesus, from Martinelli. It's, it's swashbuckling. But it's vibes. There's no steel in there. There's not a single Arsenal player. And and be honest with yourself. There's not a single Arsenal player you think is world-class. And by world-class, I define world-class because people just throw that word out there. But have you in the last three years, I like to work in three-year cycles in football. Have you in the last three years been in the top three in the world in what you do? For me, that's world-class. Bernardo Silva, world-class. Kevin De Bruyne, world-class. Erling Haaland, world-class. Edison, world-class. Right? Mason Mount, world-class. He won the Champions League at 21. That, that, that's world-class. In the last three years, there's Chelsea youngsters separated themselves. Reese James, world-class. Vinicius Jr., world-class. Absolute world-class. Won titles. I'd even argue you've got to look at the two youngsters at Barcelona, Gavi in particular. He's close. I don't know if he's top, but he's close. What have Arsenal done? There's not a single Arsenal player you'd say is the best in the world at what they do. Not a single one. Not even close. Not even, I would argue, none of them get into the fourth best team in the world. Not one. Not a single Arsenal player. 
What they had was tremendous synergy, togetherness, and a failure on behalf of other teams. Folks, I would say the only teams that I take seriously in England are Man United and Chelsea. Not because I'm a Chelsea fan, because I care about winning. I don't care about what people say, I care about what you do. I used to walk around telling my mom I'm sorry for my behavior until I changed my behavior. Who cares what people say? I, I, I really don't care what Man United fans say. I don't care what Arsenal fans say. I'm saying, what are the titles saying? And I'm seeing seven titles from Man City, five titles from Chelsea, two Champions Leagues in there, by the way, in the last sort of uh, 12 years from Chelsea as well. Throw that in there. You've you got to put that in there. A double thrown in there with Carlo Ancelotti. A double thrown in there as well. Cup, uh, cup double, of course, with Di Matteo. Domestic treble sweeps with Pep Guardiola. These are teams that are winning. So why are Arsenal sad? You are not in the mix. You are not a winning organization. Don't be sad that I'm saying that. Be sad that you don't win. If you're going to be angry at anybody, don't be angry at me. I'm just pointing out what's happening. And I've got some bad news for Arsenal fans. Man City, Chelsea and Newcastle are the show in town now. And people laugh at the Chelsea thing. I say, yeah, but they were European champions two years ago. I would far rather bank on a team I know, right, in the last decade. Right, they've had a one-year slump now. But I would, I'd rather bank on that because I've seen them win Premier League titles in the last decade. I've seen them win Champions League titles in the last decade. I've seen them go to finals habitually in the last decade and win those. Man City, Chelsea and Newcastle are the show in town now. Man United, of course, that's a given. They've been winning. It's been a while, though. Nine years now. It's nine years since Alex Ferguson left. Nine years since a real trophy. I'm not talking about the Carabao Cup. I'm not talking about possibly the FA Cup. We know what we're talking about. The only things that matter are the Champions League and the league. The FA Cup's the third trophy. I, listen, I do, I'm not going to pull back on that. The FA Cup does matter. It is the oldest trophy in football. You want to win that, but it's the third one. right? You want to be winning the Premier League, that's king. The Champions League is second. And then everything else is, is dressing. I'm interested to see what Newcastle do this, this transfer window, especially if they make the Champions League. Then we're all in trouble. But it's clear Man City have separated. Chelsea are Chelsea. And Newcastle are coming. People say, well, where's Liverpool? I say, one title in 30 years. Get out of here. Liverpool are Leicester and Blackburn. I'm not interested in one title in 30 years. Liverpool are good. Liverpool are good. I'll say it again. Arsenal should expect to be in the top six next year because everybody will come back to what they are. It's going to take five or six years. The Chelsea thing started 20 years ago. You can't expect to skip the line just because you've got vibes. It's not how it works. It took Jurgen Klopp five years to win a title. Pep Guardiola took two years. Building off 20, so it's sort of 15 years of preceding success with Pellegrini and Mancini. Right, so, so it doesn't just happen. So Mikel Arteta shouldn't be sad. Just be realistic, dude. 
All human suffering is the gap between the ideal and the real self. I understand Arsenal fans think they're a big club and nobody thinks you're a big club anymore. Like, just accept that. You're fifth, sixth, and probably slipping now because Newcastle are in town. Chelsea will come back to what they are. Man United are what they are. And Man City, well, are Man City. And, and you're, not, you're not catching Liverpool. Like, Liverpool have had a horrendous season and they really should have made top four. And they've just reloaded, by the way. And they've got their injured guys back. And they're going to get McAllister. So, it was fun. But I'm not sure Arsenal have enough. Not sure they have enough. Can they do it again? Maybe. But young people are inconsistent. I don't think they will. They will be sixth or lower. Sixth to eighth. Next season. Don't be sad. Mental. Absolutely mental. And to all Arsenal fans, I don't want to hear what a good season you had. Like, the the fact that you're celebrating being in the top four lets me know. It's like, oh, this is a loser organization. They're just glad to be in the mix. As a Chelsea fan, I'm obviously bloody upset not even to be in the mix. But when we came top four and won the Champions League, I'm like, oh, well, who cares about the Champions League? Why are we not winning the league? What are we doing there? Why are we not competitive in the league? That's how the big dogs think. Right? Like Newcastle, moving forward, Eddie Howe has a big surprise coming, by the way, over the next two years. It's all good and well now. We're all loving each other now on honeymoon. From next season, when Newcastle spend £350 million, they're going to start saying, no, no, no. Participation, participation in the Champions League? No, no. No, no, we expect big years to come up north. The Premier League, we expect to be in the mix. We want to be box office. Within the next five years, if Eddie Howe doesn't win the Premier League, in fact, within the next three years, if he doesn't win the Premier League, he's out of there. <laughs> you think Jose Mourinho is staying in Roma for good? You, you think Carlo Ancelotti? Listen, there's no more romance or loyalty in sport because I think managers have realized now it's such a short career and these owners do not care and, and are becoming more and more impatient. Carlo Ancelotti, you pay him the right amount of money, he will come to Newcastle and he will win, by the way. Wherever Carlo Ancelotti goes, he will win. You think Pep Guardiola won't go to Newcastle if you pay him enough? You're being stupid. Julian Nagelsmann, don't be shocked if Newcastle get Nagelsmann like I know everybody's happy about Eddie Howe do not be shocked if they fire Eddie Howe at the end of the year if you didn't if you didn't hear my planning uh, and phase approach that Man City have had uh, go and listen to last week's podcast but they might just say all right Eddie Howe's got us to the Champions League now now we need a Champions League manager what are Arsenal going to do about that Because there's only so many players. Jonathan David is not going to Arsenal because Arsenal are not going to spend £100 million. Chouameni, if he leaves Real Madrid, Arsenal are not spending £100 million. If I'm McAllister, why would I go to Arsenal? Brighton's basically Arsenal. And they love me here. I want to go to a bigger club. I want to go to a club that's used to going to the Champions League. So, if I'm Arsenal... Be happy with the season, but also be realistic. Because if you're not realistic, and I know in Instagram culture, people think, no, you got to aim high, bro. you got to aim high. Okay, cool. Aiming high, though, 
must be matched with the work being put in. And Arsenal haven't put in the work to be a championship team. Do not, do not fall into the trap. Because I know recency bias is incredible. Do not fall into the trap of thinking this season is what Arsenal are. What happened to Leicester after they won the league? They're about to get relegated. Your repeated behavior is your character. And Arsenal's character is top six, top eight. There we go. Don't be sad. Mikel Arteta, get over yourself. Ridiculous. Absolutely ridiculous when I read that. Nice season. But ridiculous. All right. Remember, you can uh, like, share the podcast if you've got a second. You know, pop onto your platform, cell phone, wherever you're watching. I've seen some people watch on TV. I'm like, oh my gosh, it's incredible. Pop on and leave a comment wherever you listen. And please give us a five-star rating. Or not, three-star rating, whatever. Maybe you hate this show and you've listened to this entire podcast, but you hate the show. Weird. But you've done that. Uh, please take a second to uh, leave a rating and also a comment, no matter where you listen. Otherwise, get a hold of me at MKT Inspires or MKT at the MKT Show dot com. Calm, calm. That's my email address. Um, all right, next up, Chelsea keep sell. So I got a, I got a DM on this one, and I think it's quite a good one. So we'll just get straight into it. Remember, Chelsea have got uh, Nkunku uh, Gusto. And Andre Santos already signed. So that's a solution. A DM, right back, back up. And then Nkunku is a, a versatile sort of inside forward. So I'll just get straight into it. It's been a disaster season, of course. But I, I've got the perspective of... One thing I know about myself is I don't like chaotic people. And I don't like chaotic environments. I like structure because that's when I'm at my best. You know, I, I don't really like chaos. And l life is natu naturally chaotic. But I mean, in a working environment, I do my best work when there's tremendous structure. And I like to create that structure in my personal life. And I like to go to work environments where I can control the environment. Otherwise, it's chaos for me. And very few, very few people I've ever met can function in chaos. Chelsea have had maybe the most chaotic season in the history of the Premier League, by the way. You know, when you have a father figure like Roman Abramovich and he's removed and then you remove the board and then some guy who's never been involved in the sport thinks that he can be the owner, COO and director of football and head of transfers and head of scouting, it's, it's very, very difficult. These are all high-level jobs that Marina, uh, Bruce Buck, and then the great Peter Cech did for Chelsea. You know, operations, is, is a, that's a full-on thing. Getting club synergies right, making people understand, making young, young, rich athletes comfortable yet driven. There's so many functions of those. You need world-class people in each one. Marina was a world-class negotiator. She's shown that. You know, all these things. Say what you will. Chelsea were champions of Europe under, these, uh, under, under this regime two years ago. And then you rip all of that away in months, by the way. That was like a month and a half. And he torn all of it up. Then you fire the coach who won the Champions League. With a very young team. Chelsea's a very, very young team, by the way. 
The older you are, the more you use the chaos. There was no way this team could recover. And it's been a shambles. Talent is not enough, folks. I've said this before. So the perspective for me is that the structure will help Chelsea moving forward. And this is who I'd get rid of. Kepa, terrible. Uh, number one, hate short keepers. If you're under 195, I'm not a big fan. So Kepa must go. I, I don't understand what he offers. He's not that good with his feet. A and he's just a disaster class. He is a disaster class keeper. One of the worst signings in Premier League history. He must go. Koulibaly, he's got to go. Uh, Chelsea got him two, three seasons too late. He's too old, too slow, too cumbersome for the Premier League. Uh, this is not Italy where you're playing Catanaccio. Get him out of there. Aspilicueta, I wrestled over this one. He's brilliant. He's a, he's a club legend. He's, he's probably the greatest signing, along with Nemanja Vidic, the Premier League's ever seen. £7 million. And what Chelsea got out of him is a legend, a Premier League legend and a career like no other. Two Champions League titles or a Champions League title and countless Premier League titles and just Iron Man. So superb uh, Al Capitan, but it's time to go. The next one that has to go... I believe in moving on from people a year too early than a year too late. Chelsea are probably a year late. N'Golo Conte has got to go. Availability is the greatest ability. He's not available anymore. I, I, I'm not interested in how good he is. He's never available. Get rid. Get rid of him. I, I honestly don't care where he goes. He's finished. It's been three seasons now. Let, like, just let it go. Stop living in the past. That's what Pep does this so well. He moves off players so quickly. Zlatan, Samo Eto, you know, he, Sterling. Just move off him. He's no good. I mean, I mean, he's a great, he's a Premier League and world legend. One of the greatest players, one of the most dynamic players I've ever seen in my life. But it's done now. Can't stay healthy. Ruben Loftus-Cheek, he's a championship player. He should never be at Chelsea. Uh, Zakaria, it just hasn't worked out. The injuries, again, availability, great stability. So I would move him on. Aubameyang was a joke. That was just Todd. That, that was Todd being uh, Ted Lasso. It's Todd Lasso there. So Aubameyang, I've never relied on him. I don't like his character. I don't like a vibes player at the very top level. So no good. He's always injured. And soft, soft mentality, cry baby, uh, just like Lukaku, who I would also get rid of, by the way. Lukaku, I'd get rid of at any cost. Just, I, I don't care that you paid 90 million for him. Get rid of him. He's a crybaby. And if you want to be the number nine for Chelsea or any of these top teams, we saw it like he's just always whinging about something. Like, just get rid of him. Get rid of him. Listen, I'm not a sensitive person, right? And if you're a sensitive person, don't play football at the highest level. Sorry. Like, I'm sick and tired of hearing people. Uh, listen. The pressure on these young kids is immense. But that's why they get paid £300,000 a week. If you don't want to deal with that pressure, go work at a post office. No, Nobody cares if you're working at the post office. We are not going to critique you. But if you want to be the number nine for Chelsea and cost £100 million, stop whinging about people being hard on you. Like, what are we talking about? Get on with it. So Lukaku must go. Aubameyang must go. Ziyech must go. And I don't get the Sterling thing. Don't give me the two goals last week. Like, what is it about Sterling? He was he he really won at Man City because Pep and he he sort of capped out with his pace and ability to be direct.
but he was the product of a system. But he's he's probably at about Aston Villa level at max. And even then, I, I look at Aston Villa now, I go, does he get in that team? Does he get in that team? So those are the ones I would uh, take out. And, and the other thing I would say is don't buy a striker. We've got Broha, we've got Fofana, and I don't think strikers are that valuable anymore unless it's a generational number nine. And there's only one generational player for, in my mind right now. That's Erling Braut Haaland in the world. I don't consider Kylian Mbappe generational, by the way. I do not. I do not. That World Cup when he was 19, he was a backup singer to Antoine Griezmann, Blaise Matuidi, and those guys. I haven't seen anything else from Kylian Mbappe. What I would say is Erling Haaland is the only genuine number nine in the world that's worth 100 million pounds. Everybody else, you're guessing. Erling Haaland was a sure thing. Pace, power, touch, control. There's nothing he can't do. He's Didier Drogba reincarnate. Everyone else, you're guessing. Sorry, Drogba was not a guess. Shearer was not a guess. Like, the only generational striker on the planet right now is Erling Braut Haaland. The age of the number nine is over. You've got to get, you've already got the positions that matter. You've already got Mudrick in house. You've got Mason Mount in house. You've got those attacking number tens, number eights. The goals have to come from out wide and midfield now. That's what football is. It's not about the striker anymore. That's old school thinking. Unless you've got a Samuel Eto'o. That is the exception and not the rule. An interesting one that I'll uh, say for last is Christian Pulisic you have to keep. Not because he's good enough. He's not. Because he's never available. But it's also business. The most active Western market in the world is America. The World Cup's coming up in America. You cannot afford to lose the face of American football just from a business point of view. It, like At this stage now, I actually don't care how well Pulisic plays. I, I, I actually do not care. But we've got to keep him for the commercial windfall, especially leading up to the World Cup. After the World Cup, have at it. He can go back to Dortmund. I, I actually do not care. By that time, Chelsea have got their revenue and some back for his rights. I'm sure, I don't know what his contract would look like, but I would imagine his image rights, there's a windfall for Chelsea in that sense. And of course, expanding the brand in America, they'll be aggressive with Pulisic, right? He's the guy, he's missing his Captain America. If he wasn't American, I would have said Pulisic's got to go. But you just cannot, it's not smart business to let a guy like that go. So that is my keep sell for Chelsea Football Club. All right. Um, let me know what you think. Who would you keep? Who would you sell at Chelsea? If you've got some questions on your club, uh, you want me to have a comment on it, at MKT Inspires. Um, please do like, share, subscribe. The podcast, if you've got two minutes, leave us a rating. Otherwise, just give us a five-star rating and leave us a review. Leave us a review, no matter where you listen to your podcast. MKT Inspires, if you'd like to hear on any subject, uh, or maybe your club, or you've got some topic suggestions you want to hear about. What do you want to hear about? Uh, slide in the DMs, MKT Inspires.
All right. I am going to read a DM now, which is some wild stuff, but real life. And I think I'm well-placed to answer this, but let me read the DM and then we'll get into it. Um, This DM says, you said the DMs are always open for a question. So here I am with a question. I am a 21-year-old black female and I have a very over and I have very overprotective parents. For context, I studied in Port Elizabeth for a year and then moved to Johannesburg to study something completely different. Recently, my dad gave mom, sis and me more money than he usually does and I used my money to book flights to go to PE. I had a whole life there for a year. So yes, I want to go see my boyfriend and my friends and plus their sun, the sunsets there are just worth traveling to in my opinion. The problem is, dad is reluctant to give me permission to go. He would rather go with me. I think he's also suspicious of me having a romantic partner. He said, who are you going to see there? Where are you going to sleep? She, this person asks, do I fight for my independence and desire to experience things on my own? Or do I stay patient just a little longer until I'm financially independent? Because then I won't really have to ask for permission, right? This person also goes on to say, oh, also he found out that I was not a virgin anymore and was not happy about that. This was the end of last year before moving to Johannesburg. And then one last thing for context, which I think is core to this issue of the whole thing, is that I'm the last born. Now, if you don't live in South Africa, I need to sort of give you some context because I can only speak from the context I know. (laughs) If you are from so i'm half closer my father's closer my mother is sebedi which is northern sutu right so and both of my parents are quite traditional less so my mother but my father is extremely so it's been tricky for my family because both my sister and i are quite contemporary i would say <laughs> and 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 rather strong minded so we haven't really stuck to convention if you will you know um but within my family and traditional sort of scope is that you don't even bring a partner home until it's time to get married you don't like (laughs) for my for my white friends it can be quite a thing and it's a generalization but hey like you meet a girl at a nightclub next weekend she's having lunch with your family and three months later you're on a ski holiday together does not work that way in black families now i understand there are also conservative environments like afrikaans families but i'm just telling you that the context especially if you're a daughter you don't be bringing around guys in front of your parents that ain't how it works having said that it's a new time and it's tricky man it's tricky So let me tell you why I think I'm very highly qualified to answer this one. I am one of the most rebellious people you will ever meet in your life. I, from since I was young, uh, and keep in mind, 
And it's th this information is important. I haven't lived at home since I was 13 years old. Right? I went through a very, very difficult patch where from, I would say, when I got back from London. So from 27 to around 30. Maybe a little earlier. But from about 26 till about 29, I went through a very rough patch. No money, not working, basically a bum. But I was very, very independent and always have been. Even when I was a rapscallion. From 13, I haven't lived at home. So I moved out boarding school and then never come, came home again. I've never lived at home ever again. I've, I've not seen home since leaving home. And when I left, I traveled the world on top of just boozing around the world and just having a great time. But I'm also, I had to leave home, number one, because I wanted to. But also, I couldn't stay at home because... I'm just too rebellious. So I'm not going to listen to either of my parents about anything. And never have, really. <laughs> I read, I haven't. If anything, I've reverted more back to my family uh, in my older years. But I'm not the kind of person who's going to be told. You know, I'm really lucky. I've got really, really strong parents. So they ingrained strong character in me when I was young. I kind of wavered away from that in my 20s but I've come back to it and I had this to fall back on in my 30s and eternally grateful because without them I don't know where I'd be right now so understand that I'm extremely independent always made my own cash and never really listened to the rules I, I haven't even with academia <laughs> yeah there's a whole story there with me and my father but maybe for another time so here's what I'd say right is one thing, and I talk to my mother a lot about those years, because the older I get, the more I want to understand what her anxieties were. Because like now, I'm old now. I'm 37 years old. One thing that's really, really important to me is I don't need to hear it from my mother, but I do want to carry the ethos of being a great son. Like I, I do. I, I, it's very, very important to me. It's second. It's the second most important thing to me. Number one is I want to be the man that I want to be because I've also got my own standards now. But that's a whole other thing. So one of the things that I didn't think about when I was younger was the type of relationship I wanted with my mother and father, to be honest. And you, you've got to think about that, right? Is although you have your desires as a child, is what you've got to think very clearly about, the younger you are, the more important this is, because they are now the youngest they will ever be in your life. I know that sounds obvious, but they are the most virile and most able to be a part of your life in the way that you want them to be now, right? You may be too young to see that because you're just like, oh, these are old people, they're my parents. But what you have to do, I think, and I didn't do this, so I'm not saying it's easy and you're 21 years old, so I get it, you just want to live your best life. But what I'm saying is what you need to become crystal clear on is what kind of relationship do you want with your parents? And the second thing is if your father is very traditional is you have to understand that he can only see the world through his own eyes. All right. And the third thing that I would say is I thought of something that my mother always says to me because my father and I are quite similar is 
for me, I think a massive reason why I'm single, I'm starting to realize this, besides my personality and how I look, obviously, is I don't really like explaining myself to people in my personal life. And that's not an admirable trait, I don't think, because I get sort of high and mighty about myself. I'm like, why aren't you thinking like that? But I'm starting to realize not everybody's from my family background. And I'm really, really lucky to have had a two-parent home. Even though my parents were divorced, they were sensational. It was a two-parent home. I really had everything and security and love from both of them. But my mother always says, if you want to be understood, you must explain yourself. And when we're young, we just think older people should understand. Like it's a new time. Why don't you understand? But the thing about human beings is you have to explain things to people so they can see what you are feeling. Otherwise, they are just working off a set of assumptions that they have made and they cast their wishes onto you, which is what naturally parents are going to do because they're just doing their best. So if your father's traditional, you've just got to keep that in mind. I did not. I did not in my behavior, by the way. And then I would say 21, 21 is quite young, hey? Um, it's very, very young. So I don't think it's worth lying at 21 about a boy where you're not sure. And unless unless you've obviously thought of this guy and you think, okay, a week I could get potentially married to this guy because then it's quite simple. Would you introduce this guy to your father right now? Like, like is he the type of person? Do you feel he's got the kind of character where you would go, Dad, this is somebody who I see myself with in the long term. And also, if your father's traditional, so my father's traditional, right? My father's the kind of guy where he's not interested unless you've got a plan. So the only thing my father will pay for, he paid for sport and he will pay for education. And you know how I know that? He's put all of his siblings through school and and he's paid for countless of of my uh, cousins to go to university anytime you talk academia my, my father's a high level academic anytime you talk academia there is no amount of money my father wouldn't shell out what he will not have is paying for you to have a good time forget it my father comes from rural south africa and he studied at cambridge in the uk in apartheid without money yeah so, so like this is a guy who has truly suffered to get what he wants so he does not play that or he wants a plan and he wants education the rest good luck uh, sort it out yourself 21's young it's young to start lying to your parents i did i regret it i regret it so make a very clear decision in your mind what kind of relationship? Because if you start lying to your parents now, let me tell you something. I thought, oh, I'll just lie now. And then it started to just, the, the snowball. And then you just start like normalizing lying to your parents. Oh, no. It's terrible. Listen, the gap between you and your parents is the most painful thing you can have. Right? I'm not saying you should follow this advice. I'm, I'm talking you through what happened in my mind and my psyche and the stuff I talk to my mother about now. And here's what I'd say, right, is that at 21, everything seems important. And, and here's the reality of life. Nothing is everything, but everything is something. Nothing is everything, but everything is something.
right? And what you've got to become crystal clear on is whatever you choose to do, good or bad, you have to be willing to deal with all of the consequences. If you decide to go against your father, and I don't know if he'd ever cut you off, I, I don't have enough context here, you've got to be willing to live with that forever. Because one thing I know about fathers and daughters, once that is broken, I'm not sure there's any getting it back. I'm just not sure there's any getting it back. But there's also another real world problem, right? And this one might be a little tasty and I, I, I expect some feedback on this one. Here's the problem for girls and guys. Where, or here's the difference between this particular problem between girls and guys. When girls get pregnant, right? I'm, I'm like, we haven't grown up chat now. When girls get pregnant, your life is a write-off for two years. And, and I say that with all due respect. Yes, you can work. But I would imagine what women go through naturally every month is a nightmare. I can't, I can't even imagine what that is. But now you've got a baby, the psychology of having to eat for two, think for two, cut. You're, you're 21 years old. Stuff happens. Stuff happens. Boom. Imagine 18 months time, a baby. For the next two years, your life is a write-off. You cannot eat in a certain way. You cannot drink in a certain way because you've now got to ensure that you are the healthiest possible. You are not going out. Forget that. Forget that. And then the postpartum, you've got to look after yourself because you've got to breastfeed. So you're a write-off for 24 to 36 months. Write that off in your life. Whereas for boys, sadly, the society we live in, men can just run off. Men don't get pregnant. So what you've got to understand is that the consequences for women making bad decisions and ultimately, in the world we live in, sadly, becoming a, a potentially a single mother... I don't care how much money you've got. Is a baby in your stomach. Guys can be cowards and run off. I I mean, listen. I I have never been in that situation, so I don't need I don't know. I don't have kids. But I'm just telling you from nieces and nephews and watching some of my family make what I think are horrendous decisions in order to be single mothers. I would imagine your father's concerned about that and more. You've just got your academic cycle going, right? What is your value to yourself? What happens if, as parents are always thinking? So that's the difference between men and women, is that in this case, I'm just thinking worst case scenario, you get pregnant, then what? What do you do for those three years and your father, I presume, is paying for your academia that's now two years. You're already two years into academia. Let's just say you get pregnant next year. I'm not saying you will, by the way. But stuff happens. Then what? Then what? For girls, when that one strikes, that's a real problem. Guys can be cowards and run off. I'm sorry. The world isn't fair. Guys are cowards and they will run off, especially the younger they are. I'm just I'm trying to take you into an older person's mind. Right? It's not just about I don't want you to have a boyfriend. It's like 
<laughs> also, your dad probably knows what guys want. Like, I, I, I want to be honest with you. Between 21 and death, guys, yeah, guys are guys. Don't, please don't, don't let them fool you. Don't let us fool you, ladies. Like, yes, there are good guys who will marry you, but largely speaking, that very married guy, given the chance, we know what he, he'd like to get up to. <laughs> if it wasn't for society and shame. So it's a real thing, man. It's a real thing. Like, being pregnant does not look fun. Being pregnant alone does not look fun. What does that look like financially? What does that mean for the the shape of your family. What does that mean for your family pride, by the way? Because in closer culture and Sibeti culture, like that's a huge part of what will people say. That's a big part of the social construct. You must remember that no man is an island. The younger you are, you think you're just existing on your own. You must remember you are a reflection of your parents. It's something I never thought about. But I was a reflection of my parents. Wherever my parents went and open cards, my mother's a doctor, my father's a chemical engineer, I'm a reflection as I was doing nonsense out there, what do you think my mom's hearing at church? Every time my mom has to answer, where is he? It's like, uh, you know, what does that look like? And, and we know, if you are black in South Africa, you know how much your parents love saying you are doing something constructive. If you start doing stuff behind their back, whew, and then here's the last thing I'd say, and I feel very strongly about this one in general. While you're taking your parents' money, you have to do what they say. And you have to learn that for the real world, by the way. Not just, not just because it's some cool Instagram advice. In life, you are in a contract with them. And, they, and stop saying they're your best friend. They are not. If you're a parent out there, I absolutely resent. I love my father for how hard he was on me when I was younger. But only now, at 37, am I seeing the rewards of a father who was relentless. And my father, never abusive, never touched me. I think I, I think I got like two or three hidings from my dad, which I deserved because, yes, see, I was terrible as a child. Hyperactive and just did not listen. But he wasn't like also, it was just like a hiding to put, put in place. But even then, like my father very rarely shouted. I, I, I never remember him shouting. But just a stickler for rules. Listen, if I didn't clean, clean the pool, right, I got no pocket money. Not like we're going to negotiate. I knew the rules from 10 years old, even earlier, 6, 7 years old, I knew the rules. The rules were in place, consistent, emotional stability. All right. But I think you need to learn that if you're taking pocket money and they are providing food and they are provide, paying for academia, it's their rules. Otherwise, go and get a loan. Go and get NSFAS or whatever you can access and do what you want to do. Because that's the real world. Because one day you're going to get a job and it's not going to be in your character to do what your boss demands you to do. And that's 99% of the world. 1% of the world is entrepreneurs that are successful. 99% of the world is going to work and doing what your boss says, whether you like them or not. Part of this relationship 
is that if you're going to take your parents' money, I don't care where you are, unless you're a trust fund kid and it's just going to be forever, that's fine as well. Comes with, the, <laughs> comes with its own problems. But if you're going to take your parents' money, you have to do whatever they say. I did not, by the way. I regret it to this day. I regret it hugely to this day. Because it's not even about them, right? Forget about your parents, your friends, what I'm saying. Like, you need to go and sit in a corner by yourself and go, what kind of person do I want to be? And I, I know, like you're 21 years old, you said that earlier, is it's very, very difficult for, it's easy for me as a 37 year old to think this way. But of everything I've said, right, is you need to go and sit in a corner and think, what kind of person do I want to be? And one of the things is if you want to keep a relationship of sort of where there's some sanctity between you and your parents is although it may be difficult because your father might be traditional and it might be unconventional to speak about partners and boyfriends, etc. You need to sit mom and dad down and say, look, yes, I'm not a virgin. Yes, there's this. Because by the way, there's also, there's complexity now with the non-virgin thing. For those who don't know, in, I don't know what tribe you're from, but in certain tribes in South Africa, there's something called Lobola. And or Mahadi, if you are from Sotho or Otswana tribes, where if you if you want to marry the woman, you need to number one ask the family and present yourself to the family. There's multiple ceremonies for that, but there's now a financial um, sort of dimension to this. Educate. I, I've, I've, I'm recently learning because, by the way, I would never even dream of marrying anyone who thinks lobola is a good idea but that's a separate subject like for me get that out of my face but if that is a thing again which is why it's important to know if your father's traditional remember if you are a virgin there is more money on the table and by the way we're not selling people like cattle here some people i know kind of turn it into that that's not what it's about lobola was never meant for that but but it is it is now part of the thing if you're educated uh the type of family you come from and being a virgin is a very big thing, especially if you're Zulu. I know that is a massive thing. I, I can't speak for other tribes. Um, in the Kosa tribe, it's, you know, closer we kind of do our own thing. But I know for Zulus, it's a massive, massive thing. And there, it was never even about money anyway. Just to present yourself as a virgin is like, oh, you know, it just, it just settles everyone. It settles the family you're going to. So that's symbolic of so much more than just the lobola thing. There, there's a lot going on within the value of that within sort of the African or the South African tribal narrative. So that complicates things even more. And your father's unhappy because his sort of training and how he sees life, perhaps he, you know, he's processing some stuff around that. And again, you're going to have to explain yourself for that. If you want to be understood, you're not allowed to just sulk in a corner. If you want to be a grown-up, because we're talking about being a grown-up now, right? You want to do what you want to do. And for me, as I talk to my mother about this, I wish I'd communicated with 
my father and my mother more earlier in life because it would have made things so much easier. Because when you put your parents in the picture, I promise you, they'll be unhappy, they'll sulk. But all your parents want to know is, are you around constructive people? And do we know where you are? That, that is all they really care about. Like my mom, all she cares about is, am I around constructive people? And where are you? That's all they, because ultimately they just want the best for you. And it's very difficult to see when you're young because you don't understand the value of discipline. Right? Because people in general, what I realize and what sport taught me quite early and my father taught me is that discipline is actually an investment. Discipline is an investment. But you can't see that when you're young because all you're thinking about is yourself. Young people are selfish and I get it. I was young and selfish. So what I would say is you have to talk your parents through whatever you're feeling. Because you're breaking the mold. And if you want to be understood, so, so you have two options. You can go ahead and sulk and say my parents are blah, blah, blah. That's fine, by the way, which you're perfectly entitled to do. Uh, and you can start making your own money and start doing your own thing. Alternatively, is that you need to work through expressing your life situation and how you see this, these circumstances playing out, especially your academic ones, which I'm guessing is probably their biggest concern once boys get involved, um, is you need to go and talk to mom and dad and say, here's what's happening. Because you know what scares people is not being in the picture. What scares our parents the most is not being in the picture. And I, I'm, I'm not a parent. I'm telling you what my mom said. My mother says to me all the time, she just didn't know where I was and what I was doing. And ultimately, that's all she cared about. So if you want to be a grown-up, you've got to communicate with people. The people you love, right? The people who you want to understand you, please stop presuming that they must just understand. They're, it's my dad. It's my mom. So, so they'll just... They, they should understand. I'm just... I'm growing. I'm young. Nonsense. That, that's the behavior of children. And that's the behavior of, of people who don't understand human relations. If you want to be a grown-up, right? Because it sounds like you want to be a grown-up. You have to explain yourself. You, you're in relationships. You're not an island. You, you, you're coexisting. You are using resources from them. Financial in this case. And also... When people love you, they are not reasonable about you. By the way, that's another thing you have to understand. If you love somebody, you it, it's not possible to love somebody, right? And be reasonable when it comes to that person. So they're going to be overly protective because all they are thinking is we want to protect this human being until they are of age to provide for themselves. That's it. And they just want the best for you. Maybe difficult to see now. But I really believe that. The old I get, our parents are just doing their best. Their parent, our parents are just doing their best. And I don't know what your family relationship is. What I would suggest is don't put your parents in this position. Don't put them in this position of not knowing what's going on. Go and tell them what is going on. Because either way, it's going to be crap.
But if you explain to them what's happening, right, and explain to them this is happening, if you're super independent, is this what's happening? You have a choice now to be on board, right, or be against me. If you're against me, then I'm not going to tell you stuff. So there's also that. The nice thing about being honest, right? And again, just because you're honest, it doesn't mean they have to agree with you. That's not how real life works. Your father might, might say, there are rules here. If you want a boyfriend, we are stopping the funding for academia. Good luck. You, you think you're an old person now? Good luck out there. And that would be perfectly reasonable for them to say, by the way. I think it's reasonable for a parent to say, okay, you think you're a grown-up? Have at it. Have at it. Listen, the, the great Eliud Kipchoge has a great saying, right? He says, only the disciplined ones are free. If you're not disciplined, you are a slave to your whims and your vices. You can't be free without being disciplined. You cannot. It, it, it is not possible to live a fully enlightened life without being disciplined. And if you think you can just... And I did, by the way. And in hindsight, it was terrible. It was terrible. I hated it. But if you're disciplined, you can actually... Discipline is freedom. I tell everyone, discipline is freedom. You just need to realize that it's an investment. And part of discipline is honesty. Like the most important thing about being disciplined. First and foremost, before any action, extrinsic action, the intrinsic notion of being absolutely honest and being the person you want to be is the beginning of discipline. Go and talk to your parents. Don't be a bum. If you don't tell your parents what's happening, they are fully entitled to not allow you to do stuff. And having said that, I need to reiterate this. If you tell them what's happening, you are not allowed to decide what the outcome of their feelings are. You're not allowed to do that. Otherwise, you're not being a grown-up. Let me know what you think. At MKT and Spice. Yeah, that one's a serious one. It's pretty explosive stuff. Pretty, pretty explosive stuff. Listen, hour and a half, 90 minutes. Not sure anybody is going to listen to 90 minutes of this. I'm not sure. <laughs> I'm just not sure. 90 minutes. And uh, yeah, that's quite a situation. Listen, if you've got some advice, and maybe you might be in the same situation, at MKT Inspires, slide in the DMs, Instagram or Twitter. Otherwise, MKT at the MKTShow.com. I hope you have the greatest week you have ever had. Uh, if you are, hey, maybe this week, see, let's turn it around. Maybe this week you're proposing to a loved one, a boyfriend, a girlfriend. A life partner, whatever you're calling it now. I just don't know, you know? Or you thundercats out there. We've got so many terms for everything. I'm just a 37-year-old 10% body fat guy, you know what I mean? Ladies and gentlemen, this has been the MKT Show. My name is MKT. And for now, I am the hell out of here. Thank you.